Tonight's episode is brought to you by Fright Rags. Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Officially licensed collections include hit titles like John Carpenter's The Thing, Evil Dead, Creepshow, Jaws, and so many more. Brand new this week is a collection for John Carpenter's classic, Prince of Darkness, featuring five officially licensed shirts. This is not a dream. All officially licensed and available now at fright-rags.com. Colors of the Dark listeners get 10% off when they use the code DARK10. Again, that's all caps, DARK10 at checkout. So please visit them now at fright-rags.com. This week's episode is sponsored by RLJE Films. Our legends Barbara Crampton, Larry Fessenden, and The Conjuring's Bonnie Aaron star in Travis Stevens' delightfully gory film, Jacob's Wife. Now available on DVD and Blu-ray, after an encounter with the master, Anne discovers bite marks on her neck, a new sense of power and an appetite to live bolder than ever. But as the body count grows, Anne must decide between enticing her enticing new existence and her life before the bite. Order your copy of Jacob's Wife on Amazon.com today. Also from RLJ, we have Great White. Oh my gosh, it sounds like I could have just said, we've got Becca. Anyway, <laughs> from the producers behind 47 Meters Down comes the biggest splash of the summer, starring Tucker and Dale versus Evil's Katrina Bowden. Great White is headed to the big screen and select theaters on demand and digital July 16th. Stranded miles from shore, an inflatable life raft, five seaplane passengers finding themselves in a desperate fight for survival as they try to make it to the land before they either run out of supplies or are taken by a menacing pack of sharks lurking just beneath the surface. Take your final breath and watch Great White on Apple TV this weekend. I know Becca will. Okay, I'll do it. I feel like we should go see that one in the theater, though. Like, it's Great White. I we need to see We do usually see the big animal tech ones in theater, so we might have to do that. Yeah, so I will be watching Great White. But guess what? Tonight's episode is also sponsored by Fangoria. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released onto the world. It's been over 40 years, and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors, past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give any anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter promo code COLORS, all caps, that is COLORS, to save 25% off your yearly subscription. And while you're there, also check out the snazzy new revamped website, www.fangoria.com. Still scary. Hello and welcome to Colors of the Dark. I am your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane. Sup? Uh, I cannot take you seriously anymore. <laughs> I'm stripping your PhD and giving you an N-A-R-W-O-L? Narwhal? I'm not sure. <laughs> Do you even know how to spell narwhal? narwhal. Actually, I don't. There's definitely an H in there. Yeah. Oh, you're probably right. Okay. Um, so for those, because this is an audio podcast uh becca is fully dressed in narwhal pjs and has a even has a horn on her head so you know i'm sure there'll be photographic evidence on the internet if you look for this deeply uh but the main thing is we're back 
<laughs> oh, so we're back. No, um, I, I we had we had been traveling, and I spent the past um, four weeks on a film set for like fourteen hours a day. And at the end of it, my kids were like, "What can we get you, mommy? We want to get you a present." And I said, um, "Get me something comfy to wear at home." And they went out and bought me a giant narwhal. Um, costume that I think is supposed to be pajamas. So fuck it, I'm wearing it. It's way cuter that your kids did this for you. I just assumed this was you. <laughs> it got less cute because there's a giant horn on the top of the head of these things. It's got it's got a hood and a giant horn on the top. And my son walks up to me this afternoon and goes, "Mommy, you're horny." And I was like, "Oh god." <laughs> right. this, this is it. Yeah. She was gone for four weeks. I get that it. was that was that was <laughs> thanks nice. thanks. Nice. Um. Yeah, but anyway. So anyway, don't worry. We're going to delete all that. We'll delete all that, and, and we're just, just going to start the whole show over. You just have to roll with it. The show's been off for a few weeks, so it's like starting fresh. Uh, we're back, and uh, actually, Elric and I um, did something crazy this past weekend. We went to the movies for the first time in a year and a half. We actually did um, it twice, but we'll get to the twice. new one a little later. Let's start with the old stuff. Back into a movie theater. Right after masks came back on, masks were off for a week, and now they're back on in LA. <laughs> they're back. They're back. They're it's huge. Thank you, and, people. Um, yes, thank you, everyone, for bringing those back. Um, and LA is getting scarier by the second, but that's okay. We got our mask back on, and we decided that um, the first movie that we wanted to go see was Escape Room Two because both Elric and I had loved the first Escape Room so much. We had just had so much fun with it um, when we saw. Was that it. our first back? Oh, it was it, our first back. Yeah. It was the first one we saw back. Um, and so we decided to go see Escape Room 2, Tournament of Championings, The Awakening, or The Escapening. Um, yeah. Oh, so we're going back. Okay, so we're going to our new film first. Okay, here yeah. I was. I was getting I was ready going... for Martinoing, but it's all good. We'll, we'll... No, we'll get there. We'll get there. You, you cool your jets. Just, just for the listeners, it's going to take us a while. You have to understand. We're like, we've been estranged for a few weeks. <laughs> We're getting there. I even forgot the stuff that we needed to plug up at the top. So I'm completely We're off diving the game in. today. Imagine that this is an audio escape room and you, the listener, are stuck here. <laughs> the cool news is you can literally push stop and it all ends. Or you can keep listening and join the adventure. And here we go. Let's get back into it. Okay. Um, okay. So Escape Room 2, um, which was our first movie back. And I ate so much popcorn and it was just magical for that alone. But yeah. This one, um, I will say it was missing something, a, a little bit of the magic that I felt with the first one. With the first one, I really cared about the characters a lot. So as they were perishing via escape room madness, I, I was upset to see some of them go. Um, this one, I could not. And I mean, we only saw it two days ago. I can't recall any of the characters for, uh, except for that main character who is a holdover from the first one. Yeah, there's two characters um, who come from the first. I mean, yeah, no, this is exactly, I mean, you said it's missing the magic, but you kind of, in a nutshell, said it's really missing the characters. Characters. Which is, the, I guess, the magic of movies, right? To get, to get you into caring. Because uh, the difference in the first one, the first one actually takes a good, maybe 25 minutes of all the different characters, how they receive the gift, the invitation, <laughs> they go to the first i think that waiting room and there's a quite a lot of character dynamics and so whether you care about them or you just got to know them we we both really like that movie that's not a guilty pleasure yeah it's a lot of fun it's really well directed legit awesome and i will say like i don't want to dog on this one because as soon as they got into the escape rooms holy shit i was in again because it was just like the escape rooms in this were even better than the first one they really upped the ante on the escape rooms and and just how crazy and fucking 
wild they get. Um, but that said, where the first one, you spend the first act with the characters, and then the escape rooms are themed around their characters. This does not have that. The escape rooms are just fucking bonkers, and they have nothing to do with any of the characters or anything. It like would have made sense if this was a tournament of champions, if each escape room was like the the Achilles heel of each of the characters who had won mm-hmm. a previous thing. So they're going to have to, you know, get over whatever their greatest fear is. And so that that was missing. I mean, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think the direction's still just as good by Robitel. I think the script's far weaker. You know, that's the real letdown in terms of the two. But um, I did think some of the set pieces were good. But like I was telling you when we left, the difference I felt was actually in, um, and maybe it's character, maybe it's just the way we're kind of positioned. But in the first one, I kind of felt like I was watching them work things out at kind of a similar time as I'm trying to work it out. And I found that to be really like I'm a participant. This time I felt they were working things out. I had no idea what they're working out, but they're like two steps ahead of me, but I'm not that it makes it just a little less interesting because they're just having. Mm-hmm. So I, I just didn't really understand how as a as a viewer, I'm caught up in it. But but the set pieces are cool. And it's definitely one I'd still say, hey, go see it in a theater because it's good escape ism really, you know. Yeah, it still fulfills what I'll call my Saul lust, like mm-hmm. the um, I love and and I definitely want to do an episode on them at some point. All of the films that came out post Saw and a couple that, you know, trickled out before it that are literally one person or a group of people stuck in a room trying to figure out how to get out and why they're all there. And this is literally that over and over for like 10 set pieces in a row. And so I will watch this and I'm sure that as soon as it hits VOD, I'm going to watch it again just because I enjoyed the actual escape room so much. Um, I just, yeah, I did not connect to the characters quite as much as I did in the first one. But that said... Really good escape. I did miss in the second one, the first one, the first 20 minutes are in Spanish, which I thought was super cool. And <laughs> um, So Elric and I, this is a fun backstory. So Elric and I, when we went to see the first escape room, we accidentally unknowingly walked into the Spanish version of it. And we thought it was so cool that they had put <laughs> the first like 10 minutes of the movie in Spanish and just said, fuck all. I don't even think there were subtitles. No, we were just um, trying to go with like, it. We are like, all right. We were like, this is such a baller move, man. Let's just go with it. And it was okay because mostly it was just some guy like moving around a library, kind of talking to himself. But whenever he did, it was it was entirely in Spanish without subtitles. And we were like, oh, this is so bold. This is just epic. And then once the movie gets about 20 minutes in, I was like, I think we might be in the wrong theater. And Elric was like, yeah, I was starting to think the same thing. And then we realized that we'd walked into the wrong theater. So it just goes Um, to show (laughs) that even with a PhD and an MFA between us... We are no smarter than anyone else. So that's but, it but it visionary. Was I know. First ten minutes in Spanish and no subtitles. You either get it or you don't, man. You know, we call that pure cinema. You know, you don't need words, you don't need nothing. It's pretty beautiful. So anyway, hats off Adam Robitel. He made another fun one. But um yeah, and and, and I'd still like more, don't get me wrong. Like I want oh a escape room three. Bring it on. I definitely want an escape room three. I will already buy my ticket to that. I want more of those batshit crazy rooms. That was just um beautiful stuff going on right there. And I saw his New England roots creeping out in some of those rooms because mm. there was a lot oh, of yes, kind of right. New York City stuff. There was some the beach, beach thing, stuff, yeah. Like, the beach thing was cool. That was a great yeah. sequence. That um, was that was a killer sequence. Let's go b- 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 back in time to the other thing we saw in theater <clears throat> at the New Beverly's. Um, that's actually further to the present than you, you've switched it We're around. Back in time in terms of the movies are old. 
Oh, okay. Sorry. We, we've seen it more recently <laughs> that's than, true, that's than true. Escape Room 2. You're We're off script me. now. I had a whole We're plan, off. but I'm not. F- you jumped to my late notes. I'm going back. This is what people tune in for. This is why This is why we received one tweet saying, when's the show coming back? That's it. One in show? five weeks. Hey, one person. We got two. Um, there was okay. somebody who, I, I also got one on Instagram. So that that's a couple. So yeah. Um, but it got a lot of likes, man. Yeah. Um, so anyway, on Monday night, Elric and I went to the New Beverly, which I was thrilled to be back at the New Beverly after the pandemic. Legit, like that is someplace that I consider to be kind of like a second home in LA. And I know Elric does as well. Um, just because we see so many films there, usually at least a couple of months pre-pandemic. Yeah. And uh, so out of every, you know, there's a couple places that I kept saying, like, I really miss that. And the new Bev was definitely one of them. So it was beautiful to be back there and to see people again. Um, because as soon as you walk in, it's it's one of those like, you know, everybody knows your name type places where as soon as you walk in, you know, people at the new Bev. Um, and I even met a listener there, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, so it was just wonderful to be Also, this was there. a birthday party. For, it was He a doesn't necessarily party. know, but Mr. Sergio Martino, who's still <laughs> alive in the universe, which I always makes me happy to know some of these um, classic, you know, uh, Jello and Italian directors still around. Uh, this was his birthday. So they were screening two movies, uh, one that we'd both seen quite a lot and made our um, list of Giallo draft for the Screen Draft podcast mm-hmm. way back when, Torso. Um, and then the other one, which I, but I don't think I've ever seen on the big screen. And um and then one that I've always loved a lot and that you had seen a long, long time ago, uh, The Strange Vice of Miss Ford. I think the, the title on this one for us was called uh, The Next Victim. It's also the called Next Blade Victim. of the Ripper or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a bunch of titles. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, in terms of the first one, you know, again, we'd seen it a lot, but it is you could see the pieces of the film were missing. Like uh, <laughs> horny projectionists had uh, removed it at some point in its long uh, life, probably. But um, yeah, like there's a hippie dance naked sequence that happens midway through where it's like a drum circle and you just watch this girl dance topless for like 20 minutes it was very abridged in this version it i was. noticed it like, was very someone took that footage and went like ran with yep. it um but that said this was still such a joy to watch on the screen just because i watched torso during the pandemic i watched it like six months ago um right before we did our giallo draft yeah. actually but it was just still so good to watch it feels like two different movies for me like the first part feels like a straight up slasher where it's just a bunch of female co-eds being picked off by a killer on their college campus who strangles with a scarf. And I'd say what then- of that two of the sequences are incredible. Like one when yes. the couple in the car making love and he attacks and then the one where the woman after the hippie scene, she's alone. The I think swamp. that's one of the most beautifully shot sequences mm-hmm. in a slasher film because it's all very, it's very foggy and ethereal. But everything in between that is very typical, very kind of cheesy drama around a university kind of setup, you know. Everyone has random sex just yeah. so that we can get tops off, which is the other weird thing that we talked about at intermission was sitting in a movie theater watching other people have sex because this movie, both Torso and Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, are pretty explicit. Like, they definitely feel more T&A than horror. Especially, um, the first one might have more nudity in in a sense, but the second one is really about sex and sexuality and, like, deviant uh, behavior Mm -hmm. and and fantasies. And it was really, I mean, for me, it felt so nice because it didn't feel weird. That's the funny thing. You'd think that could be weird, but it didn't. And it feels nice to see something when 
cinema now is so neutered, right? And that's not yeah. just a hit on Marvel. It's all movies are basically no, neutered. No, most of sexuality, movies do not you know? include quite that explicit of yeah. sex scenes in them. And so anymore. it's just funny to see a giant screen. We're all sitting there staring quiet, watching somebody, you know, kissing somebody's breasts on a car. Phoenix you know? boob, yeah. like eight feet wide. Which is hell of a, a hell of a thing. It's beautiful. <laughs> she, it is she beautiful. Is incredibly good looking. Her and George Hilton. I, I saw a cool interview with them from a couple years ago where they're both still best friends. I love that. They, they did all these love scenes, you know, 40 years ago, but they were still very good friends. And back then they weren't lovers. They were very good Mm -hmm. friends and they kind of helped each other get through all these love scenes. They had to do in all these Italian films, which I thought was super cute. Um, But yeah, no, I did think that was kind of the highlight of it. But like you were saying about the two different films, yes, the second half of Torso torso. is, is as you know, just pure Hitchcockian brilliance at times. No, it definitely because the 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 second half, like you know, it's not a surprise game with the killer. You know where the killer is, and the killer knows where the victim is, and it just becomes this kind of sustained cat and mouse game at that point for the last thirty minutes of the movie, and it fucking slaps. Is it's just it's great. It is just this wonderful tense moment of them like fucking with each other. And if you're a thriller writer, because it's always hard to find, like Hitchcock's great because you get these setup and payoff. And I think a lot of uh, modern movies have good setup, but then the payoff is often disappointing. Uh, There's a key gag, which I will not spoil, but I will say it's reason alone to watch this because you get Mm -hmm. kind of an original spin on something that's, you might've seen a million times. And in this moment, it's a really great gag. Um, So, so Torso is great. And, you know, we watched kind of beat up old prints, but with these kind of movies, sometimes that's actually kind of (laughs) nice. It very feels like the grindhouse experience. Um, but Strange Vice, which was pretty a little bit more pink or red, kind of faded. But it is just such a it's such a weird movie. It, you know, it's it's much more plotty at times. Um, but I find it to just be these. Dr- there's about four dream fantasy sequences slash flashbacks through her through her kind of veil that are so kinky and weird and dark, but just so yeah. beautifully shot. But that's why I've never not thought about this movie. It's not that the mo- rest of the movie necessarily holds up to that, but those parts are almost under my skin at this point because they're so kind of atmospheric and weird. So I never, this one, it does not read as Giallo to me. And I don't think that we put this on our Giallo list. It's like um, one of my favorite Giallos, but I think I just said, eh, it's a little too idiosyncratic maybe. Yeah. This one always reads to me more like Euro trash. Like it feels yeah. more like a Vampiro's Lesbos thing to me. I mean, there's like, gloved and, killers. And I, and I mean, you know? I mean Euro trash in the most like, holy shit, I love Euro yeah, trash yeah. type way. Um, it, you know, it's like pure art mixed with like a sleaziness to it because this one does, it plays like a lifetime film. That is shot like an Oscar. An Emmanuel. Movie. Well, it's shot like an Emmanuel thing mixed with Lifetime, mixed with like a, a little bit of a yep. killer storyline. So, for those of you who have not seen Strange Vice, the setup is that there is this woman um, who is kind of newly married to this husband who she does not necessarily like. You get a the diplomat, idea. That- right? He's a diplomat. He has money. You get the idea that she married him to get away from this prior lover who was abusive. And so she kind of viewed him as a safe haven. And there's not a lot of love between them. It's a very just kind of functional marriage. And all of a sudden, um, all of these weird things start happening around her deaths. She feels like somebody's constantly stalking her. She keeps getting like weird roses with weird messages brought to her door. And she begins to suspect that it is this ex-lover kind of stalking her and picking off people around her. And one of the messages is even your vice is a locked room and only I have the key, which is the title of another film she stars <laughs> Of another in, film, yeah, uh, that by she's Martina, about to so in. I think And I, I will say what sells this movie is 
Egwidge Finch. Like yeah, she is just beautiful in everything. She is just ethereal through this entire movie. Like just celestially captivating. Um, and, and again, it shows you can show dark. Well, yeah, I mean, you can show dark stuff or sexual stuff without it. With you know, without it being a problem, you know, like because mm-hmm. her sexual, like what they're pointing out on this is very dark, right? Like if you step back and analyze it, you'd be like, oh well, that that's awful that this is the this is the fantasy realm. You know, she wants to be beaten or or has a blood fetish. They keep talking, but when you're watching it, you're just lost in the kind of the feel of it or the kind of mm-hmm. the psychology, and it's and it's a little gray because you don't know if she actually enjoyed those things or if she hated them. She hate has grown to hate the guy who did these things to her. So it's it's like the, you just miss that there was once a gray area in movies. <laughs> Because you can get a lot out of a gray area on a film, you know? Yeah. No, this one, it didn't feel safe. I will say that's the thing that I took away from this and that I was telling my students about the morning after is I go to watch a horror film now and I know where it's going and I know what topics won't be included. This was like fucking off the rails sexually, psychology, and just across the board. So um, it's something that we don't see as much in horror now is it kind of pushing those boundaries a lot. And there's a very nice, like when I first discovered this one, I was really, you know, wasn't many good copies out there. But now there's a very nice Blu-ray from um, uh, Severin on this mm-hmm. one. So, you know, probably looks better than the print we would have seen. So definitely check that one out if you're interested. I will just quickly also just about a week before you came back, I went to my first time back there and that was um, to see Dracula from 1931, uh, the original Dracula and Black Sunday by Mario Bava from 1961, uh, double feature. So uh, I hadn't seen Dracula in forever. Um, and it was really interesting. I mean, just for one thing, I'm, I'm finding myself more and more because seeing it theatrically is rare. Um, black and white films are appealing more and more and more to me to want to watch them theatrically. Like I think it's something about the screen and film, you know, seeing it in this way, watching them at home is fine, but watching them on screen, it seems like an appeal. Uh, Dracula is a fascinating movie because I can't think of another movie on the face of the earth that every time I watch it within a few days, I've forgotten everything that happened in it. And it's kind of, <laughs> kind of boring in the middle. Like, but there's a couple shots of, of him when it first kind of, uh, pushes in on his eyes that are just some of the best shots ever in movies i think mm-hmm. and it's such an interesting but it really is a movie it's you know it's because because we know it well and it's a little dull in the middle but it is weird it'll be like two days go by and it's like it's almost like i've been mesmered by dracula to forget the entire plot i but yet i can recount every scene of the the bram stoker coppola version of dracula but this original one's always had that on me which is maybe why i can watch it every few years um but that said it was a good precursor because it's you know it feels it still feels of its time then Black Sunday comes on and it feels like it was made yesterday by A24. I mean, it is. I took uh, a guy I work with who, you know, Dwayne, who had never seen it. And, oh, wow. And, and he, he was like, you could feel in the room. And also one of the best prints I've ever seen. It was like a perfect. It must have been a restored brand new print. Um, you could feel the entire room in that opening scene where Barbara Steele is be, you know, being accused of witchcraft. They're about to put mm-hmm. this this mask with all these spikes on it. And then you just see this guy carrying the biggest hammer in the it's creation. Huge. And just seeing that, everyone reacted in the room. Like it, it was so exciting to realize what visual language and movies can still do if the person knows how to stage it, right? And, and it wasn't the part where he hits it. It's the part where it's carrying it that everyone's reacting to. And that's always so exciting to me. And so the first part I thought was just gangbusters. The middle of the film still really great. And then the ending felt like such a modern, like 
it just felt like a modern, really grotesque, crazy horror film. And it was Mario Bava's first feature. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. And hers, Barbara Steele's first feature. And, um, you know, apparently there was a, you know, apparently some issues between them on, on that one because probably they're just sniffing each other out. But it, it was really exciting to see that again. Hadn't seen it for a while and it really holds up. So if you're, I just wanted to make sure I re recommended that. And also, I'm just going to throw this one in too because I know you want to see it. So I also saw for the first time, um, in prep for their calendar, I Married a Witch, which is a totally different movie. Oh, I can't wait to see yeah. that one. It's a super light romantic comedy with Veronica Lake. Um, by Ren- but the reason I'm bringing it up here is after thinking about both these movies, these movies are perfect movies to watch as soon as you finish when we get to in a minute, the Fear Street trilogy, because they're, especially, you know, obviously Black Sunday makes sense because it kind of ties into that kind of story. Mm-hmm. But I-, I Married a Witch is kind of the light, fun, playful version of those same kind of stories. So I think there's your little film festival for those who love Fear Street but want to kind of go back in time, I'm going to recommend those. And we'll get to Fear Street in a moment. Yeah. So I've actually been watching a lot of witch films for another project that I'm doing. And um, I had rewatched Black Sunday a couple of weeks ago. And so I, man, that mass scene, it's just, but Barbara Steele just like sparkles through the entire She's just got an incredible presence just, in it. Yeah. yeah just wonderful. And the witch guys. scenes are creepy. The witch scenes are really mm-hmm. creepy and just the whole setup of it and, and the bones and the rib cage. It's, it's just, it's really good stuff. So if you've never done it, definitely do it. I need to rewatch Dracula. I actually, um, Strummer, my son, has gotten really interested in Frankenstein. So we watched the original Frankenstein a couple of weeks ago, and then we followed it up with Young Frankenstein. But I always liked Dracula because I found the backgrounds to be more interesting. The sets are cool, Um, Like the sets and and the castle and Browning, like, filled the entire area with, like, armadillos and, like, weird creatures crawling around. Show him that Spanish Dracula. That's a good one. I I know. That's a great one. I I have often, Um, I mean, I know a lot of people do, some people do prefer it because it was kind of shot around the exact same time, but mm-hmm. um, but but Bella Lugosi I, is I so good. I think it was on the same set same sets at after nights. yeah at nights yeah. and and it's maybe a, a little edgier, but 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 I never to take away Lugosi's Dracula. Like he just looks, mm-hmm. he just looks so good. I I honestly, I'm not even joking. It sounds like I'm joking. That thing about forgetting it. It's like yeah, right now I'm like yeah, I remember the start. I remember at the end, I can't remember anything that happens in the middle anymore. And it's just one of those. Maybe it's just the kind of the way it unfolds. It's pretty short too. You know, it's not a very long film. I can recall like point by point Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Um, but I can't do that for Dracula. That is weird. Now I'm now I'm curious. It's like and a I trick to, to make us Dracula. Re-watch it. Yeah, and I love that Todd Browning then spent all his capital on Freaks. Yes, and then lost his whole career. <laughs> oh, that's awful. I know, but Freaks is great, so that's okay. <laughs> Aww. It was worth it. Well, shall we do some Fear Street? Yeah, let's do the Fear Streets. Um, so this was, um, I was like dying of an aneurysm of wanting to see this because I was shooting and I was working like super long hours and was not able to exactly like come off set and go watch films. Like I just don't have that type of bandwidth usually when I'm shooting. I just, um, I watched a lot of great British baking show when I got home and that was like my I'm not thinking moment. And then I, I fell asleep. Um, but all the while I was seeing people tweet about how absolutely amazing Fear Street was. And so as soon as I got back, it was the very first thing I did was I watched the, I watched them like three days. I did like an episode a day and it was wonderful. I just was so excited about this one. Fear Street was a huge thing for me growing up. I don't know if it was for you. Arnold Stein meant nothing to me uh, in New Zealand. Like I didn't, I knew, I think I knew the name and never knew a single thing about it. I wasn't interested in that, uh, that kind of literature. I I read some Dean Koontz and King and stuff like that and Clive Barker once I got into Barker. Yeah, Yeah, this is like late 80s, early 90s. I would have been like 
end of elementary school, like fourth or fifth grade into like sixth, seventh grade. Um, and there was a bunch of these writers, like Lois Duncan was part of it. But then Christopher Pike was writing all name, of yeah. these amazing, amazing, like adolescent horrors. His were all real sleazy. Like Christopher Pike was like real sleazy. But then R.L. Stein, and this is predecessing Goosebumps. R.L. Stein had the Fear Street series. And there were just some amazing stories within that. I think they probably did 30 different novels as part of R.L. Stein's Fear Street. And this would have been like um, right around the time that they actually set the first one, like 93, 94, when these were really peaking. They they were trickling out before that. I think the I, I was probably reading them in the like early, early 90s. Um, but yeah, so I read every single one of these. And then a couple of years later, it switched over to Goosebumps, which were definitely kind of skewed younger, like Fear Street was aimed at like, like preteens and teens, whereas Goosebumps was more kind of like middle schoolers. Um, but yeah, Fear Street was definitely my jam. And they kept some of the stuff, like these particular plots were not in the Fear Street novels as best I can recall. No, they weren't. Yeah. But, um, I will like some of the locations where like Shady Side was used a lot in the original Fear Street novels. And so was Camp Nightwing, um, just as general locations and the skeleton that they use in 1994, the like Daglo skeleton mask with like the big black robes is actually from, um, I think he did a couple of them. These ones called Halloween Night. And it was uh, about a group of kids playing pranks on each other. And so those skeletons were kind of in there. But that said, like Lee Janiak, you know, just knocked it out of the park with these. Um, I loved the 1994 one. That was probably my fave. Yeah, I know. I know everyone's ranking them. But to me, you could have if I had j- there. It's one story. It, yeah. And so like I probably yeah, if I was ranking them, it's probably 94. Then the last one, because it also goes back to it. I won't. I won't spoil beyond that. And then 78, but 78 is so well made in terms of vein. What I like most about mm-hmm. them beyond the fact that I think they aren't just for teenagers. I think they're a good access point, but for people like us, they're also really fun, really referential. And the kills are really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second one was great because it just felt like I was watching a Friday 13th. It felt more like a Friday 13th film than the, that reboot of Friday 13th years ago for me. Like it felt, yep. it felt like it had that spirit and I was, and that was exciting. Um, but yeah, no, I think what each film did so well, and, and it's amazing that one director could do this in, in such a short period is each one is, is almost like the kind of movies from that period. So the 94 one is scream, right? She's like yeah. making it very clear from the opening. It's a scream riff. It's a self-referential characters. People are aware of her. Uh, 1978 is the cabin in the woods slash film and the style feels like that. And then the 1666 doesn't necessarily feel like the witch, but it kind of has a little bit, obviously the setting is, and you feel something a little bit more, um, like you've just jumped done with it. And she was, talking a little bit about this on um i just on my drive today i was listening to mcgarris's postmortem and she's on it and she was talking about kind of their approach and it didn't sound like they had a lot of time to make these which is still pretty amazing what they pulled off mm-hmm. in my mind but you know i i just have missed like stuff that's this fun you know that you can just turn off and just enjoy yourself and you know I was elated to see that they did not hold back on the kills because that was my biggest fear going in was that um, because the original Fear Streets were definitely geared towards like 13 year olds, that they would try to keep the kills very PG-13, that they would try to keep it so everything's happening in shadows, you're not seeing things. The original books, they had murders, but they were not intense by any stretch. It was much more kind of suspense and and alluding to things that happened um, and people disappearing, but not, I mean, they had some murders, but not quite 
as crazy as you're going to see in this. But this one, I mean, they went all out in these. These were intense with the kills. Um, and the very first opening kill in the cold open of 1994, the one at the mall, I mean, that was wild and then it just got more violent from there yeah and i mean i don't want to spoil who gets killed but what 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 i really liked about this show is it felt like um if you enjoyed uh most of us do like stranger things but if it's a certain demographic age-wise who are let's say enjoying say you're 15 and you dig that and now it's been three years since that or something right uh this feels like the perfect next stage because it feels like Mm -hmm. that kind of world that kind of humor but with a little bit more brutality. And and what's so cool about the opening scene is it's it's an actress from Stranger Things, the last season of Stranger Things, mm-hmm. who works at the mall in the opening scene of this. And I thought that was very cool, a very smart, you know, both Netflix movies. Uh, and I think it's a great way to kind of carry over an audience, but also give them something new. Um, so to me, to me, it's great. It, it really is. Uh, when I do my top 10 at the end of the year, I am not going to break them up. I'm, I don't care what people tell me. I'm just going to say Fear Street Trilogy. We'll take one of the spots. I can guarantee you it will make the list uh, because it's just, you know, I doubt we're going to see a bolder kind of, you know, trilogy. And all, and trusting one director with that is just super cool. And she knocked out the part. I love Honeymoon anyway. Yeah. So Honeymoon is great. And the fact that I love that somebody trusted her enough because yeah. Honeymoon is great, but it's very small and it's yeah. very contained. It's two people going crazy in a cabin. Trying and, and, you know, invasion of the body weird at the end yeah um and so to see somebody trust her enough to go from kind of this tiny little film with two people to you get three movies and a massive cast is it's amazing she was meant to do um What's the witch, the, what's not the witch one um, from the craft. the craft? And I don't know whatever yep. happened with her version of that because we got the unfortunate version that came out, whatever that was. I haven't seen that one. I I need to. It, I think you talked. There me might out be moments it. that you would, and like, I shouldn't let you talk me out of it. I, I didn't tell you not to. I just <laughs> no. You just. I just think yeah. it might be my least favorite use of David Duchovny. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I will get there at some point because I need to judge for myself because I do love the original. So it definitely had moments, I but it, yeah, it wasn't the it's totally different movie. So, but um, I I came back with a list of films that I had just been like seeing people tweet about that I need to see. Something called The Call on Shutter. I keep seeing glimpses of, and one of the other ones that I had on the list you had to watch this week and I didn't do the assignment and I didn't get to see this last one, but I want to hear you talk about it to see if I need to circle back to it. And that is a classic horror story, which this is on Netflix now. Yeah. So before I do that, only because that one ties in, that's a perfect segue. I'm going to give a quick plug, even though you set that up beautifully. Uh, I did just today (laughs) see something that I'm not going to go deep on because it comes out on maybe a week. Um, This is the new A24 film that was meant to come out right before the pandemic or right maybe at Christmas because it is a Christmas film. Um, A24 is kind of really one of their biggest movies they've made so far called The Green Knight um, with Dev Patel by the director of Ghost Story, uh, David Lowry. Um, I got to see it uh, with my uh, mythologist buddy who I work with, um, and we got to go to a, a screening room today to see it uh, a little bit early. And it is really a, what's one of the most beautifully made films I've seen this year. But the reason I wanted to give it a plug here is it does – it does. I mean, if anyone knows, there's an original older movie called Sword of the Valiant with Sean Connery as a as a role. It is. Uh, it opens with definitely a horror scene. Uh, it is the young. It's basically the story of Sir Gawain, who is the nephew of King Arthur. So it's an Arthurian legend, and he hasn't really got his story yet. He hasn't made his transition to manhood or, or being a knight. And this giant creature called the Green Knight, which looks part you know organic matter, part you know troll monster comes in and challenges him 
um, and says, asks him to cut him. And that one year from now, however you cut me, I will cut you one year from now. You will come to me. You'll find me in the woods and I will give what you do to me right now. I will give back unto you. And let's just say he makes the mistake of doing something really bad to this guy, which means one year from now, that's going to happen to him. That's the setup. And then what happens is very much hero's journey type stuff. And it's, you know, in terms of just craft, it's up there with the best stuff A24 has done. It gets almost so symbolic in the last act that it took a bit of unpacking afterwards, I thought. But I do think for horror fans and definitely fantasy film, you know, if you're if you're Excalibur fan type thing, this is like the movie that you're going to be most excited about. So I did want to at least share that. I, I just because this randomly I got an invite like at 11 o'clock at night last night. So this was, <laughs> this was not planned, but it did take up my entire day driving there and then driving back to the show. <laughs> so, um, but I think, yeah, I think, I think there's things about this that you would really dig too. I thought the first hour was like really exciting. Like I was really on the edge of my seat and then it maybe becomes a little more meandery, but That's still a awesome. really good movie. Um, okay. But you set up so well, <laughs> I'll be quick. Uh, so th- yes, there's a new movie that I'd never heard of. I actually discovered it from Instagram because I follow the actress, uh, who I just loved in her first film that we all know her from, uh, revenge, uh, Matilda Lutz, who was just, you know, one of those star making performances in revenge from a couple years ago. Um, she had just, she just like, I don't know how I see these things, but so it just popped up this poster for a classic horror story. And I was like, Oh, I wonder when that comes out. And of course, as soon as I looked, it was coming out that day on Shadow. I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. Or Netflix. Mm-hmm. Netflix. Or it might be Netflix. I think it's yeah. Netflix. This is one I'd actually had on my radar because I saw a bunch of people posting about it in the fan group, um, mm. After Dark, Colors of the Dark fan group. And uh, I, I definitely, like a lot of people had talked about how great it was. So this will be our segue to, uh, you know, a slightly abbreviated topic because we've been a lot to catch up on. But uh, we're we've both been well, you I've been on a literal vacation and you and road trip and you've been on uh, away from home, you know, on an adventure of your own. But it's not necessarily vacation. Um, I've been in Mississippi and it was very from, hot. But, but you I were away say- from home. <laughs> so. I was very far away from home and it was, I mean, it was definitely kind of, you know, um, a, a work trip, but it was an absolute blast. Um, but um, vacation in the fact of like, it was very humid. It was very hot. Um, it was, it was hey, definitely. It's, you, you were know. away from your kids. That's called a vacation to me. I had mine with me, not a vacation. So that's the difference. I had uh, the mosquitoes in Mississippi. Um, are the most brazen things I've ever seen. Like literally I would walk out of my hotel and go to the car and I would have like three mosquito bites across my forehead. Like no fucks were given. We don't care. We're just bold. And so that's kind of my, uh, my takeaway from my time outside. Well, that is kind of like um, a, a Harvick. Yeah. So, but, but the interest there, I, I gotta say, even thinking about them has really made me want to write one now. Like I've, I've, I, I forgot how much I love this, the, just the concept of a vacation. It could, some are road trip movies, some are not, but the concept of, Hey, I'm going to go do something really nice <laughs> and relaxing and then realizing whatever level of horror is now going to intrude on that to me is the easiest and best setup. But, uh, so our segue to our topic is this movie, a classic horror story. And it's, there's a, but I didn't really even understand the setup, a bunch of car, five different carpoolers. So it must be a European thing. They are all going to like go in the same van together to travel to specific destinations across Europe. Like that part of it, I was a little, maybe a slow for a beat. And I was like, they, none of them know each other. So they're all getting in the van of this Italian guy who is a very big personality and he has his own YouTube. So there's a little bit of that cringy. Okay. Everyone look at the camera and smile and tell me who you are. It's for my, and that's where I'm a little like, okay. And one guy is like an ex doctor and there's a couple British and American, a couple. And then there's uh, Matilda Lutz, who's I think, 
French or Italian in this. I'm not sure what she is, but speaking English, at least the version I watched. Um, and they are about to travel. She has a backstory that, it, you know, it's a little unclear if she's like, um, I think she has a pregnant, you know, early stages of pregnancy, but I'm not really sure what, what has happened. She's going to go see her mother. So it's not necessarily a vacation mm-hmm. as much as this road trip. Anyway, the, the real simple, I'll just kind of give you the hook, which is they're, they're all driving together and then they see something that heads them off the road. They crash into a tree. Um, and when the, you know, after the initial chaos of that, when the light kind of clears, they realize that they are now nowhere near a road. They are in the middle of a forest. There is no road to be seen anywhere near them, like impossibly. So, and there's a little cabin, you know, a few feet away, a perfect little cabin. And very soon they realize there's this cult of kind of tree folk wearing, you know, pieces of tree on their head, um, type situation that they've now entered. And there's a girl kind of, uh, who's being kept inside a cage, uh, you know, potentially for a sacrifice, right? So it, it sets this really weird, do we stay in the camper? Do we go try to save the girl? They're all kind of torn. And it, so it kind of suddenly becomes like a mindfuck movie and then it becomes a folk horror and then it makes a hard transition to a totally different genre by the end of the movie. So, you know, interesting. I did not care for the final beats of this thing, like kind of where it is ultimately heading was not my jam. It was a pretty good version of that jam. But all the stuff leading up to it was really atmospheric and really interesting. And I think, you know, especially in a year where we're going to get a nice folk horror interest resurgence uh, due to Kayla's uh, documentary, you know, when it comes out uh, more widely, I, I think it would kind of tick, you know, some of those boxes. So I thought it was interesting. Um, it, but, I, you know, for me, it didn't necessarily land where I wanted it to, which happens. I'll be curious to hear, hear your take. I think you'd find it interesting at least. Yeah, I had this on my list for last night, and then I admittedly fell asleep um, pretty early. So I know it happens. It's been it's been a crazy couple of weeks, um, but I'm excited just because it takes place in a camper, which is quite possibly my favorite place in the entire world. is is in my camper. Um, it just feels right for some reason. But um, anyway, did you guys do a lot of vacationing when you were a kid? Like, is that a whole thing in New um, Zealand where it's like you do like the vacation? Every I mean, day? I was here for a while when I was little. I mean, no. Yeah. I mean, there was vac- our vacation. Well, for one, our vacation times are different than yours because uh, summer is at Christmas for us. So so it's much more of a people go to their summer batch or their. I've, I learned that from watching Bluey with my children. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's what's up. Um, so it was always weird. We'd always have our Santa cards, always had them in shorts surfing and stuff. Um, that was always weird growing up, but uh, yeah, people would often go to the beach and it was kind of that more, it's such a small country. You could do a little travel, but probably I was lucky enough to, when I was growing up, we would often, not every year, but we did quite a lot of international travels. So, you know, I'd come to America to see my grandmother or we would, you know, there's more adventures like that. So it's, but definitely it's not the same as the American model, you know, where you're taking the camper out and going to the, you know, Yellowstone. Like I went to Yellowstone. It was like going to a science fiction movie or something. It was kind of cool this year. Wow. Now we did, um, my dad was always weird with his vacations where it was like, we're not going, like if you're on the East coast, it's like Myrtle beach, Nags head. There's like these set beaches that you go to. Um, and we did that once and it was like with five other groups of the family, like all my aunts and uncles in this massive guest house. And I remember having a blast, but apparently everyone had an absolutely miserable experience. (laughs) 
And so we never did that again. And every other summer it was like, my dad would take us hunting mm. is like my only memory. Like, and we would live in the camper while dad goes and hunts um, or goes and fishes. And I, I like fishing. So that was, those were always fun. Um, or we'd go crabbing for a week. It was always about, you know, finding food. Um, but yeah, it was, we always had these like weird summer adventures that we would do for at least a week where we would end up on some little wharf along the Chesapeake, not the actual Chesapeake because that's too touristy, but we would end up in some like tiny little inlet dipping chicken necks in the water for a week um, to try to catch crabs. I like that and image. that was something. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you added that part. We just like to dip the chicken neck. Um, that's how you catch the crab. That, that's I, why are we catching the crab? <laughs> what are we doing with said crab? Once we catch crab, that's what I want. You to cook know. the crabs. Yeah, I just like crab uh, chips. Blue crabs, I like those crab uh, chips you gave me once. I don't know. That's the whole thing. I, man, I wish I could get that. I got to have my mom sem- ship me some of those because I didn't go home this summer because um, I was shooting. And every summer I always go home and send myself back like a box full of all of the crab flavored chips and cheese balls and shit I can get at home. And I didn't get that this year. So I got to have my mom send me some. But anyways, well, summer vacation hard. Right. Well, all I'll say about vacation, one thing I, I thought about while I was traveling, because I did a lot of driving. I drove through about 12 states, you know, most of America, back, back and forth and back through Montana and like really did a lot. And it was just, you know, a lot of driving. But what I liked, what I think about in relation to horror is cool about it is it's um, we're super vulnerable. And when mm-hmm. we're traveling, because we are not on our home territory, we are we have no idea. Like you know, any t- at any point, we're also our defenses are super down because we're on vacation mode, right? So you're in you're in a holiday mode, a um, holiday mindset that is all good. So anything that's going to come is really going to fuck your shit up, you know. And so the one that I you know, my favorite, and it's not one of my picks because I've talked about it a lot, and and we're not tailoring this quite as much to road trip as we are just whatever vacation means to you. But race with the devil is just one of my favorite movies, which has a camper van, which you love. It has, yeah. it has the road trip part of it, but it also has the vacation. Like we're going to go. And I think part of that is like, yeah, you, your defense is lower. Like you're with, yeah, the girls are inside. We're drunk outside having a, having fun. We look across the lake. What they're doing a satanic ritual, you know, and then boom, you're being chased by Satanists from then. I, I just think the setup is so fun to these types of movies. Um, mm-hmm. So if, if you haven't seen, I, I, I believe I brought up on our, 70s one so i didn't want to like uh, kind of beat the horse here but i do really like that one and it gets me thinking about these kinds of movies i love race with the devil just because it's prolonged as well um and i didn't include the hills have eyes but that's another one that i just because i assume that most of our listeners have probably seen some incarnation of that um be it the original or the remake which i actually really enjoy the remake as well in its own right it feels like a completely different film and time period with different connotations. Like the first one is not, they're both heavily political, but man, the second one just really hits it hard. Yeah. And the um, remake is but, great too. I mean, mm-hmm. but the first one feels like oh, I say second, I'm referring to the remake. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, have yeah, eyes, yeah, the weird the biker with the dog. The one West didn't want to make. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the first one, one is pretty dangerous. I mean, it's definitely somewhat dated, especially the bad guys in the first one, but, mm-hmm. but the way it feels, it does still feel dangerous. And like, like, it feels uh, unsettling, yeah. like all of Wes's early films felt pretty unsettling. So, 
I read a fascinating um, article, or I guess it was a book by Makita Brotman, who is a horror theorist at some point, talking about how it was um, like a fucked up, like Romeo and Juliet with like the two mm. different rival families. And she did this huge thing of like oh, Texas cool. Chainsaw Massacre being kind of a fairy tale-ish story oh, as neat. well. Um, it was, But I always think about that where I'm like, yeah, it's the two rival families. It's the families who's lived, learned to live off the land and hate society. And if you take it from their perspective, they're just fighting for food, um, which happens to be you. And so, yeah, it's it's I've always been fascinated by that one. Just because it is also that whole out of the element thing of of kind of, um, you know, going someplace and going just to kind of fetishize it of like, oh, my God, the desert's beautiful. I have no idea how to survive here whatsoever. Right. Um, but it's it's exactly what I do when I go into Joshua Tree where I'm like, this is amazing for 10 minutes. Right. And and, too, um, and then it's too hot and I'm sick of hiking. And that's a, you know, a big old scorpion. And I'm like, I got nothing here, guys. Well, and, and, and to not mock the things around you right like that's where the lesson we learn from deliverance is the like the ultimate it's like oh we're gonna we're gonna take on this river we're better than this river and then and better than the hicks around us and and then you see how that works out it's still my one of my favorite american movies it's just so well made and dark but a perfect example is but let's get into we're just going to do three each because we have so much other stuff you know to get through today but um what were i have four but it's okay I, I think I did four. I'll do three in a runner-up. Okay. Start with your runner-up. <laughs> okay. Then my runner-up, I'm going to say Sweetheart. Um, oh, because the this recent one's movie? recent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is recent. So I'll call it a runner up. This movie was by no means perfect, but I felt like it didn't get a lot of the tension yeah. that I thought it deserved. And I know like Dick, uh, Grunard is a really big fan of this one. Mm-hmm. And there was like, I remember right when it came out, there was a group of us who were like, holy shit, that was actually like a really good time. Um, and the biggest beef was like, it's a man in a monster suit and that. Um, there are certain shots where it looks great, where it is like, oh my God, that creature is amazing. And then other times where it looks a bit plasticky. And so that was people's biggest gripes with the movie. But man, I fucking loved that creature. What's the holiday setup on that? Because I, I believe you jump so into she, it, right? You don't even see them going. You're like, you jump she's in. She's on right? a boat trip with yeah. a couple of friends. They're on a, a boat trip and their boat sinks at sea. Um, and they, I can't even remember why it sinks. Cause I, I feel like it, the movie like starts before that. Like, I think it starts mm-hmm. where they've already had their accident and then you. Yeah. They've, they've, you know, we, we don't, I don't even remember why their boat sank. So it may not have even yeah, been part of be the part movie, of but the movie basically opens with her and one of her other guys that she was on vacation with on the boat, washing up on an island. And um, it becomes like a castaway, like uh, admittedly, it's not a spoiler. He dies in like five minutes on the island. Like he may be dead when he washes up, like he dies really, really quickly. And so she buries his body and then um, she hears something on the first night and then she gets back up and whatever it was has dug up his grave and basically drug his body back into the ocean. And that's when she realizes that she is on this deserted tropical island by herself with some massive creature that crawls out of the ocean every night and feeds on whatever prey is on that island. And I just think that that's a brilliant setup. Castaway with a giant aquatic monster. Like, I would have bought that based on the log one. And I think that and was it's on Netflix. really well done. Maybe. I don't know. This may be on Netflix. It popped now. up on one of them when it first started. That's how I saw it. And 
Yeah, I agree. I thought the setup was good. I just remember there's like, you know, yeah, there's a couple moments where, but there's other moments where even in this costume, it still looked great. You know, it's. Yeah, there's some really good jump scares with it. So this is one that I just thought that it did not, it kind of had a really quiet release um, where it was one of those where someday somebody tweeted about it and I was like, oh shit, that's out. Yeah. Um, Like it just did not get a lot of attention. It just kind of snuck up and then, you know, it just kind of faded away. And I just thought that this was a beautiful story and just considering that it is basically one actress for like 75% of the movie she's great she carries it so well so yeah so that is my runner up sweetheart do you want to do your first one or do you want me to do one uh you can you can go ahead okay um one of the ones and i've probably talked about all of these on here at some point but um the one i discovered only a couple years ago um was that i i had heard the title and i'd seen the remake which i didn't care for uh this one's called and soon the darkness um directed by robert foist who did dr fives and devil's reign um this film's very different from those this film is 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 maybe the most hitchcockian feeling film i've i like when i was watching i was just especially the last like 30 minutes of i was like wow that is just pushing how far you can push that kind of thriller element but it's it's a really atmospheric great little film still hard to find i don't think it has a good release here um it's basically uh pamela franklin's and who you would who she was in a bunch of stuff at this time anyway it's these two nurses who are friends but not like great friends they're like work friends um they're both british nurses and they want to take their holiday so they decide to go to the french countryside and go on a biking trip so the two are going to just bike but one of them is a total horn dog and any guy that looks her way she's just like oh i want it i want it and the other one's like but you said we're gonna bike and that's why we're here we're not here for the boys you know and so you know they're kind of there's already a little bit of friction when you first join them and there's a guy at, at one of these little roadside cafes they've stopped at who's kind of eyeing them and he has a motorbike and so he seems a little dangerous uh we find out that they're on the same stretch of road that they're about to travel there had been a murder um, of a young woman the previous year, I believe. Anyway, they they kind of are biking for these long periods of time. It's very 70s, and they kind of find this little spot to rest. And the one girl wants to, like, you know, strip down and kind of just lie out in the sun. And the other one's like, no, we have a schedule. We have to keep going. They have a fight. So the, the one girl decides, I'm going to keep going to the next town. And when you want, catch up to me. She goes... Um, and when she gets to the next town, she waits and she waits and she waits until it's night and mm. realizes the girl never comes. And then what, what really adds to the tension of this movie is they're both British, but the film's all shot in the French countryside. And when the French people talk, they never use subtitles. So you're completely lost, just like the character. So she's constantly trying to talk to the gendarme, you know, the, the police inspector, the people in the local town, the cafe owner. And she's got, a, she understands a little bit, but not enough. And then, and the way they, mm-hmm. the way they position us with her level of confusion is really great. And so obviously the guy on the motorbike's a suspect. You have all these suspects. Um, and it, and then basically she convinces somebody to go back to the spot with her to see of course the person's not there i'm not gonna say too much more but where it builds in the last like 30 minutes of the once you know start stuff once you kind of are revealed who who the killer is why i should be scared of them and realizing the bigger picture um it's really really suspenseful and creepy and the way it looks um is just that perfect 70s uh cinematography that you just know you're watching something that but that kind of brown um crispiness and it's just one i i hadn't seen there's a remake that's i think set in argentina um from about eight years ago and that's how i what i first saw and i was like none of the atmosphere that this movie has so this is this is a real gem um and if you can you know track it down well worth your time and it's also cool like it's you know french countryside um holiday movie so with biking tourists so Mm -hmm. in soon the darkness 
I have never biked anywhere cool. I know that's like a whole thing of like biking across countries. Yeah, and no, I haven't done that. I be, when I lived in Chicago, it was a really good bike town because you could go down to where the waterfront mm-hmm. is and just bike anywhere. But yeah, outside of that, I've never really tried either. It's probably really cool. Yeah, I always debated buying a bike in New York City when I lived there, and it just seemed dangerous. Yeah, like, no traffic is what puts you. Safer just walking. Yeah. It's a little. Oh, these roads you would do it because it's just like long, long stretch of nothingness. So oh, wow, um, but there's a I killer. Did, um, I did hike the Appalachian Trail for several days That's just because cool, yeah. I lived on it. Like people spend months on it hiking all the way from Georgia up as far as it goes, I think, into New York. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just did a week. And then once I could smell myself, I was kind of done. Um, That's very Hannibal yeah, Lecter was, of you. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, like I'm not. I'm I'm way too um, OCD about needing to shower. And there's like little hostels along the way. But yeah, it's not a daily showering situation. Yeah, that's the big so, difference. Yeah. I mean, for anyone now we can do our travel podcast but like i traveled across europe a lot when i was like 20 21 and it, and new zealand's like this but america's so not like this where it's just youth hostels it's part of the normal culture everyone's young and fun and like and social and then you come here everything's motels or hotels there's no real mingling you get some ymcas but totally different vibe uh europe is great for traveling yeah. when you're young like that yeah, it, it, along the AT, they have a little hostel set up. They were definitely not nice. Yeah. Like, it was not a nice day. It was like, here's a cabin with a plank, and you would be in there with three other people, and it was always, and this is back in the 90s where maybe it was a little bit safer, but um, maybe I was just naive and foolish. But even still, I remember being, and I was with a group of like four other people, and I still remember being kind of like freaked out that I was staying on a bunk in the same room with these other weirdos I'd never met. It, it can't, um, I mean, now during a pandemic, things like that just sounded insane now, right? Because of right. Uh, but I will share my most embarrassing moment was I think I was in like Switzerland. I did it all by myself, and so I'm like somewhere like Switzerland. Oh, see that I would never fucking yeah. Do. No, I mean yeah, like, I I was you know dumb, but it was it was fun. And anyway, I'm in a in the shower, and I'm like. I start hearing these voices that were girls and I poke my head out of the shower and I see these girls doing their hair in the bath. I'm like, these girls are in the wrong fucking bathroom. What the fuck am I? So I just stay in the shower for an exorbitantly long time waiting for them to leave. And then I walk out and yes, I was in the woman's bathroom. So that was, that was my Amsterdam adventure that I remember really feeling bad for them. Like these people, what are they doing in the men's bathroom? And here I was being a creeper. So sorry. Wow. Wow. So that's Amsterdam. Whatever. Oh my gosh. Switzerland. No, Switzerland, not Amsterdam. I've never been to Amsterdam, actually. Even now, like, I'm just so suspicious of everyone. I just, I can't drop my guard enough. You have more reason, though, like, in terms of, like, you know, like, if if you have allergies, there's so many reasons not to trust people. Yeah. I just, I mean, like, even, like, because I've done the Pacific Trail, um, because we have, like, our equivalent out here of the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Trail. Um, I've done just day hikes on that, and people put food and drinks out for Mm. you. It's called Trail Angels. And people will just, like, leave boxes of granola bars out for the hikers along the way. And every single time, I'm like, there's probably razor blades in them. Like, I'm just so suspicious of everyone. It's because um, you're an only child. It is, probably. Only child syndrome (laughs) will make you suspicious of everyone. (laughs) You didn't have siblings who you knew were trying to kill you, but at least you <laughs> knew they were trying to kill you. <laughs> oh, so anyways, um, moving on with that, I will take a um, group of wild kids doing stuff they probably shouldn't be doing and uh, raise the ante on that with The Ruins oh, I love that from one. 2008. I love this film. I feel like it's been kind of forgotten. 
And it's one that I I consider it to be one of the best films from this time period. Like if we're talking like mid 2000s horror, this didn't feel like anything else that came out. I'll say it did to a degree because this is right around like Teresa's time period, hostile time period. So we were getting a lot of this kind of, you know, people traveling into areas that they can't be. And oh my God, something creepy is happening. Um, the Ruins felt different for me because it was a completely different concept that I really have not even seen since then. Killer Plants. And Killer Plants kind of trivializes it and makes it sound campy. And this movie is not. Um, and how it handled it and presented it, I just love. The setup is a group of kids who are going through um, Mexico and uh, decide that they are going to go off the path. They find this tour guide who agrees, or I think it's a friend of theirs, um, but he is going to take them to this these ruins, these old ancient ruins that no one knows about, that tourists aren't allowed about, and they get there and they get up to the top of them and they're like, holy shit, this is amazing. We're on top of ancient ruins. And all of a sudden, all these locals emerge from the woods and won't let them back off the tower. And it's like, if you try, we're going to shoot you. And so they're basically on top of this massive structure and the locals won't let them back off. And they quickly realize that it is because of this particular plant that grows on top of the structure that actually infects you and kind of spreads like a, like a skin disease. It spreads like a, it's parasitic. Um, and even though it's a plant, it really like it gets into your skin and spreads very rhizomatically throughout your entire body and eventually takes you over. And it's really fucked up and intense body horror in that capacity. Yeah. I remember that one being like the way it was sell sold, like, Oh, it's another teen. I know what you did. And then you go to it and it's like kind of body horror and pretty intense. And uh, I remember it's, being really into it. Yeah. It's real intense body horror. Cause the plants, they there's scenes where it's like a hallucination thing and the plants are able to mimic sounds and it's, it all sounds campy as I'm explaining it, but somehow this was just a great film. And I ended up rewatching this last year during the pandemic and, and was just kind of pleasantly surprised. I'd forgotten some elements of it that really just made it even more creepy. I remember seeing this opening weekend. I covered it for Fangoria while I was living in New York City. And I, um, I lived next to the theater in Chelsea. I literally lived like two doors down from it. And I remember going in my pajamas to a late night screening because I was like, well, fuck it. I don't even have to walk a whole block. I'm only going two doors. And I went in full pajamas to watch it. Given and, you're watching um, wearing pajamas right the second. <laughs> I'm wearing pajamas right now. These changed. are my narwhal jammies. Your narwhal jammies. Um, but yeah. I remember um, when we did deep cuts uh, maybe a few months ago, uh, there was a movie I did called Maya. And I remember when I was watching that about the Mayan ruins and sacrifices and stuff. And I remember watching it going, yeah, it's not as good as the ruins. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, it would make a pretty fun double feature in some ways, but my, it's nowhere near as good a movie. But um, so I'm yeah. excited because the guy who did the ruins, he has not done a lot since then. I think he did. Uh, it looked like he'd edited, like he'd mm. had um, a couple of, of smaller film projects. It looks like he made some music videos in there. Um, but he has a new film that is getting a lot of press called Swallowed. Mm. And I have no idea what it's about but i keep seeing people tweet about how excited they are for it and so um yeah i'm ready for whatever carter smith brings this very round. cool yeah no i'd be i need to see it again i want to see that movie i've only seen it you in know, the theaters so we just do not have enough killer plant movies and i'll even now. say yeah 
And I'll, I'll, I'll hold on that thought until I get to my um, one of my other ones because I, I just noticed a theme. Oh, good. So, oh, I have one um, too. Yeah, my theme holding, starts after this holding one. Holding on my killer plans. Okay. So, but, um, we, just, we just don't have enough. People always think of it as like Day of the Triffids or like Audrey 2 size level of camp. Yeah. And I think there's more that we can well, Especially as that. it's probably the future of horror in real life is nature <laughs> taking its own back out of us, taking its pound of flesh out of us as we deserve probably. But um, in, in the earth or whatever, you know, Ben Wheatley had some themes of that this year, um, yeah. but not, not quite as literal as that. But we have the happening. What's up, donkey? <laughs> yeah, <we do. laughs> um, yeah, you're right. Uh, let's not speak of that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bees. It's the bees. Um, okay, go ahead. Uh, my next one is one I've probably talked about a couple times in here, but I, I just love it so much until everyone watches it, I won't be happy. I only saw this one for the first time a couple years ago. Again, it had a remake as well, which I haven't seen. And that is um, a subgenre I was never a fan of, which is killer kids. But this is who can kill a child. Uh, I, I love the holiday angle of this. It's actually my favorite thing about it. It's like a vac- total vacation movie. It's basically uh, two English tourists who are uh, married. Uh, the woman's expecting their first child, but still she's, you know, middle stages of pregnancy. The guy, they're in the Spanish coast. And he's like, when I was a kid, I went to this little, it's a, it's fictitious in this case, I didn't know, called Alamanzora Island. And I have all these great memories of it. It's kind of like a perfect little island with a tiny community. And he's really excited to share it with her. And so I really love how you just kind of, you settle in and and in the opening scene a body washes up on a beach and it's a little bit menacing and on this on the main island and they're like oh, i wonder where that comes from obviously it's gonna it's gonna play into it and um you just kind of it's so realistic you totally sink in with these two people for one night in the spanish town before they're going to take the boat to this island and when they get on to this island the there's a couple children fishing who give them this weird just blank stare and they try to talk to the kid they don't see them and it's really, it becomes, I think, one of the most atmospheric films I've ever seen, where from then on, they just go into this island. There is nobody around. Occasionally, they'll see some kids, and the kids won't talk to them, and they're, like, really weirded out. And it takes its fucking time. This movie, like, they go into this bar, and they're just waiting and waiting for somebody to talk to. And eventually, mm-hmm. they they start to figure out when they see a an adult strung up like a piñata and a bunch of kids using it like a piñata and one of the more disturbing things I've ever seen. And the difference between this and most killer kid things is there's a camp value usually because like the children or whatever it could be. Usually there's a camp value because of the, it's kind of preposterous and it's a little ludicrous. This is complete. Everything about this when I'm watching this, I believe if, if it happened, I would be scared because mm-hmm. it's the title is also like the reason everyone on this Island has died is because all the children it, kind of like a virus they are spreading. So there are some children you actually meet <clears throat> later in the film who haven't got this thing. They're just playing innocently. Mm-hmm. And then one of these other children comes and stares at them and they look at them and then they turn and they've turned as well. So it's almost like a spreading mental virus or a rage thing that they're all in it together, almost psychically linked. And the concept being the reason all these adults have died is because none of them could bring themselves to kill a child. So the chi- chi- these children are killing them until they're wiped out. And it's just these, are these two going to survive this island and it is done so relentlessly that um it's just one of those movies that really stayed under my skin for the last couple of years and i always think about it and it's also just great vacation art and it's the it's the ultimate nightmare too because the girl the woman is pregnant and you're pregnant mm-hmm. with something that is going to come into this world with these people so uh, you know there's probably layers to that that i'm not even thinking about but it's yeah no it's it's i think the non-professional 
children actors in this are as good as I've ever seen it, just creating a mood and a feeling. Um, so, you know, this used to be a lot harder to see, I think, in America, and it's a Mondo Macabro Blu-ray. And I just, mm-hmm. I just can't recommend it enough if you like, if you like, you know, actually dark horror that you know really goes there this one goes all the way um this one is so much scarier and deeper than children of the corn yeah yeah, and it's the same setup of like the children killing all the adults but it just feels because i guess because it just feels real you know if they they Mm -hmm. shoot it in a way that and and it's kind of sad because this director i consider honestly this is a masterpiece in my mind in terms of horror uh this guy narciso uh surrender he made one other horror film and it's also a masterpiece if you haven't seen i know you've seen but uh People haven't seen the house that screamed. It's a pretty generic title. It's like the one of the closer to Suspiria type movies out there. That is yeah. this really interesting Spanish uh, girls boarding school slashing kind of movie that's beautifully made. And I saw that first, actually. I saw that before this one. And so I was kind of shocked when I learned it was the same director because they're nothing alike, except they're both really great movies. So um, highly recommend this one. Big fan. Um, and I will have more killer kids, but it's a different kind of thing in my next film. So I did have a look. And I will say there is a remake of who can kill a child that you don't need to see. Yeah. I didn't see it. I was curious to maybe, but yeah, it's, you know, I think that the it's it does not do anything that's much different than the first. And the first one is legitimately creepier for me. And plus, I don't know if you remember, the filmmaker never revealed his identity. He directed it under a pseudonym, something like Machiavelli or Malakov or something like that. It was just a single name. And then afterwards, he posted a manifesto where he was like, all cinema is shit. This is the next wave. And then I don't know if he ever directed. Oh, was it else. directed by the um, the chess champion in Night Moves who kills all the women? <laughs> because I'm pretty sure his name is Machiavelli or something. <laughs> no, it was this ki- I oh, can't, and connection. I'll have, to, I'll have to look it up. But literally the remake, it was like one name. And afterwards he posted a manifesto about oh how God. all other movies are garbage. Um, and it was like a straight up manifesto. But Becca, so, yeah, what I'm, if he's right? I don't know. I'm not... <laughs> Go, go, just watch the okay, original. Okay. Just watch the original. Okay, um, so as I was saying my, hey, we don't have enough creepy plant movies. I was following and I was about to say, you know, you could do some really crazy shit with fungus. Elrith knows. I'm kind of, I'm really, you can do crazy shit with fungus, man. Yeah. Um, in general, I'm really fascinated with mushrooms. Like I, if you follow me on Instagram every couple of weeks, there will be a, hey, check out this weird mushroom I found. Um, type picks, but that said, um, I am continuing the Rumens, which is killer plants, the Rumens, uh-huh. um, with Splinter hmm. from 2008. Is that the thing with the spiky I- creature thing? Spiky yeah. creature yeah. thing, um, which you find out is a fungus. Mm. But the whole concept of this, it is a husband and wife who is traveling through the Midwest and they um, end up encountering an ex-convict and his girlfriend who kind of take them hostage. And you think that that is where the movie is going, but in the background, you keep seeing these kind of deformed forest animals that are all infected, almost kind of zombie-like, but not really. And they have these crazy spikes coming out of their body like whatever it is it causes these weird looking almost wooden splinters to come jutting out of their body which is just really horrifying to think about to begin with and um they all end up kind of getting to this um this convenience store and that's where the film really comes to a head is one of the people who is trapped in the convenience store with them and you've still got the convict who's kind of keeping everybody hostage 
one of the people trapped in the convenience store realizes that they are infected with this thing and it's a splinter. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is get a splinter from an infected animal or person and you are infected with it. And they eventually realize that it's it's a fungus that's doing it. But man, that setup, this gets total body horror because the whole thing causes body morphing um, because it's a vir- it's a fungus doing it. It's trying to really just spread it. And it points, it's like ripping bodies apart. It's combining them back together. It's really doing anything it can to kind of spread itself. And um, there is just some crazy body horror in this. This was uh, Toby Wilkins. He ended up doing Grudge 3. Mm. And I have not seen much from him since then. But man, this film was great. Yeah, it was super original. I remember I I haven't seen it. It's just like The Ruins. I haven't seen it since. But both were ones that in the moment you're like, oh, this is totally different than everything being made. Right and now. I've still never seen anything else with like the concept like this, where it does feel very contained. Mm. It is, it is like, you know, six people in a convenience store, um, the digital effects. And if memory serves, Toby did come from a heavy digital effects world. Um, so they were like top notch at the time. Like they were just beautiful effects in it. Interesting. Yeah. Now, again, I might, that would be a pretty good double feature, actually, Splinter and uh, The Ruins, just to kind of see two films like that, I think. Yeah. And they were the same year, oh, 2008, okay. for both of them. Yep. I definitely saw both when they first came out. Um, okay. My last one is one I didn't love it because it's so gnarly, but I think it's a really good one that people have slept on. Um, and it has, you know, a pretty massive star in it who at the time was just up and coming. And it also has uh, menacing children. And this is a film called Eden Lake. Um, and it's directed by James Watkins, who went on to make the very mainstream Big Woman in Black remake. Um, hasn't done too much since then, a lot of TV. Uh, this was one that when I saw it, I remember it being like, oh, shit, this movie is like for, for UK. Basically how I'd frame this, it's, it is really the UK's version of the French extreme. If it, it literally, if you put, if it was in French, you would call it one of the French extreme films at, at times about right towards the end of that. Um, but this one stars Michael Fassbender before, right, really just before he, really exploded it's kind of the last one of the smaller films he did and kelly riley who i just love as an actress she's in a lot of um, british stuff too and they're basically um this couple who he's planning on proposing on their vacation together uh and they are they set off to the he's got this great uh lake in the middle of nowhere that he's gonna have peace and tranquility together they get out there he's got it all kind of planned out and then these kind of you know they look over for and you know on the other side of this you know, Lake playing loud, obnoxious music as a bunch of these like teenagers and one's a skinhead and they just look kind of like, like local ruffians, but young enough that you wouldn't be scared because they're not 18, they're 13. So you're like, okay. And Michael Fassbender's built, right? So he's, mm-hmm. so there's a part where he's just like, uh, can you guys turn it down? And they're like, fuck off. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and then he tries again. And you know, they, there's a little escalation. And at a certain point, they i can't remember where they go but they come back and realize their car keys aren't there and then suddenly these young people are driving their fucking car like crazy and almost running them off the road and they're like what the fuck so he uses his adult fucking voice right like you kids don't fucking do this kind of thing and then it escalates real fast and suddenly it goes to he is suddenly completely uh you know tied up and restrained with like barbed wire and stuff and they have the upper hand completely and you realize these aren't just teens these teens do not give a fuck they will push it all the way because what are you going to do they're kids and they're kind of utilizing that angle and it gets 
real French extreme in terms of torture. That's that was the part that I struggled with at the time because it was it was coming towards the late part uh, of kind of you know some of the torture stuff we were watching at the time. But when I think back to it, the extremeness of what where it goes was really good. And then Kelly Riley, her character, basically, even though she there's a lot of cat and mouse between her and them, it's going to come down to can she save them because Michael Fassbender is not going to be able to because of uh, how how fucked up he got. And it's really intense. If somebody's looking for something that's like brutal really dark unapologetic keeps in the wolf creek kind of maybe not as realistic as wolf creek because that sometimes does feel like you're watching something that feels real um this is a really good one and and it and it, and it fits really well in this thing it's not for somebody who doesn't like can't watch something that pushes the actual violence you know stay away from it if that's your thing but it, it i really uh, you know just just when we're thinking about the topic i it, it put me in the mood to kind of revisit and, and just remember how good everyone is in it so yeah this one it felt torture porny for a chunk of the movie yeah. but i remember loving the setup because this was um it was around the same time that i was seeing a lot of the kind of it was strangers but there was also yeah. the french film ills mm-hmm, um which had you know kind of the same setup of like children yeah. um just going fucking nuts well, in that, you, there's no couple. like personality right they're just pe- figures and hoods they're just figures which and is hoods, creepy but they're but yeah. children yeah. um so it was and that was actually a vacation one as well because they were at their their yeah, they're building like, their country house. estate or something I, yeah i meant to see that again recently I, I haven't seen it since it first came out and that was a good yeah it was um but i will finish mine out with which has nothing to do with children plants fungus anything like that um but this is by far one of my favorite kind of you know languid um slow moving vacation horrors because it's like it it's unending Mm. and that is daughters of darkness Mm -hmm. from 1971 and i have definitely talked on this show before about how much i love this movie but honestly you can't talk too much about Daughters of Darkness. <clears throat> this is director Harry Kumel. And the setting is this newlywed couple who arrives at this seaside hotel. And or it, and it's pretty deserted. I mean, it's off season. You get the idea that it's not like, you know, peak summer or anything like that. So it's really deserted. And they're basically there by themselves. And their plan is to stay the night and then the next day, I think they're it's Belgium. Yeah, it's Belgium. Um, yeah, and their plan is to stay there for the night. And the next day, they're going to cross the English Channel into the UK to go see his mom. And there is all this backstory about how they've just gotten married. And he's really nervous to tell his mom that he got married because his mom's like all upper crusty and may not be into the commoner that he married. So he's real hesitant. But the next day, they are supposed to do this. They are supposed to go see his mom. And then all of a sudden, this countess and her secretary show up and she's beautiful and she's seductive and she's mysterious. And you start having all these weird instances happening around the hotel. And then like that, all of these young girls start being murdered in the local town. And he is kind of fascinated with the murders and ends up getting kind of involved with one of them, um, witnessing some of it. And so they end up staying. And it's just like, it gives me an anxiety attack because it's just like this. Are we leaving tomorrow? We were supposed to leave yesterday. No, we're going to stay another day. Like it's just this prolonged, um, you know, refusing to leave and just continuing to stay there. All the while the husband is kind of falling for this countess and she is like getting all pissed off at him and starting to think the wedding's a bad idea. And then it goes from there and it gets crazy and sexy. This is Euro trash at its 
finest. It is an absolutely beautiful film. Um, it is dreamy. It is nightmarish at the same time. And Blue Underground just put out an absolutely just captivating 4K release of it. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes that, like sometimes a 4K comes out where it's like, you know, like New York Ripper. And I'm like, I don't know if I need that to look good. I, that one, <laughs> then it's like the Suspirias and the Daughters of Dark. They are the most beautiful movies ever made. Like, yeah, I just got my copy yeah. like two weeks ago. I haven't watched that version yet, but I'm very excited. Oh to- man. I bought a 4k TV. Yeah. Um, just, it was during the pandemic yeah. that I was like, fuck it, I'm getting it. And it was because blue underground started doing these yeah. releases in 4k and it was not, yeah, Ripper. I can't remember which one of their releases that pushed me to do it. Um, but man, Daughters of Darkness was worth it right there just because that movie, it should have won awards for how gorgeous the cinematography is in it. And it's got high it class actress so... uh, Delphine Searig in the yep. lead role, which, you know, I, I don't think she was in any other horror films. And she was you know, last year at Marion Bad and all those movies. And she's just so perfect in it. She's like, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, and she's got this like bleach blonde hair. She's usually brunette. It's, it's really, it's, it's really something. It feels noir um, to a degree. It feels classy at the same time. It's luscious. It's somehow also really feminist yeah. Um, yeah. and really sexy, all kind of combined together. We, we so, might yeah. have said this last time you brought this up, which was a long time ago. but It was after I watched the 4 right, No, I, um, So it was maybe three months ago. Yeah, but not, not that part of it. I'm, uh, what I was going to say is um, neither of us have ever seen his other movie, he only made one other movie that apparently is also strays into horror, not quite as much called Mal Pertus. Pertus, and, which I actually have a copy. Yeah, of. I do too. I so I think we need to do it, it for our de- a deep cut together because it is a, that's a oceanic car. I know it's on the sea. Mm-hmm. I don't know much beyond that. So I, let's make sure we both do that. Cause I've always been curious what, and I know Orson Welles has a small role in it. So um, I've always that's wanted crazy. to see that film based on how good the other one is. And, um, and anyway, those are, those are some of our vacation horrors, but we also, even though it's, Hold it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, even though it's a recent uh, horror film, uh, we did want to ha- offer up one deep cut that, you know, again, any of these could be deep cuts, I guess, technically. Uh, but this one is one I feel like a lot of people missed. And it's so interesting is the right word. It's just one of those movies that's kind of hypnotic and interesting. And and uh, the one, the main reason I wanted us to use this as our deep cut, because beyond the fact that I knew you liked it, is this year, this pandemic year, there have been a lot of example of loop movies. And, and there's some very interesting movies like that. And this movie, you know, predates them by a good 11 years and and would be a kind of a perfect rewatch, I think, for some people this year. Oh, yeah. And this is one that I always recommend my students to that I hear them come back and say, holy shit, that was incredible. Like this is one that I still see people discovering and getting excited by. And you're right. It did not receive nearly enough love when it first came out. This is from 2009. And this is Triangle directed by Christopher Smith. Christopher Smith, I just love his work in general. He did Severance, which I consider just to be a brilliant horror comedy, Black Death, which I loved, and Creep, all of which are just, and then I think he did Detour as well. Yeah, I didn't see Detour, Um, and there's something else since, but I do feel like he's one of those guys who, especially in England, was like, oh, he's our next big horror guy, and then it maybe hasn't yet fulfilled it, but I think it could still happen. I looked him up today. Uh Like He is doing a ton of television. Yeah. Like, um, and you know, God bless him if he's like, you know, getting a career that way. I want him to get back to horror, but yeah, like when I looked over like what he'd been doing for the last five years, it was like 20 some odd TV episodes. Um, but the whole setup of Triangle, this is again from 2009, is that um, this girl shows up and she's been invited by a group of her friends to take a trip on a yacht for the day. 
And they're supposed to go out and have this day trip. In um, uh, and- Florida, circa Australia. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> Why is it doing this an Australian actor in Florida? So, yeah, it's supposed to be Florida. It is supposed to be kind of Bermuda Triangle adjacent. Yeah. And they are headed out on, yacht makes it sound fancy. We'll say a, a very nice boat, um, like a houseboat too, uh, that has, you know, levels in it, but it's not huge. Um, and they're headed out for just like a day trip to have like a nice afternoon on the ocean. They get out there and waters get rough. There's a storm and their boat starts capsizing. But simultaneously, they see this fucking massive cruise ship and they, it, it's not responding to their distress signals. They don't know what to do. So they row themselves over to the cruise ship and they climb up on board and it's completely deserted. And before you think this goes all ghost ship, it does not. It goes in a completely different direction that you are not even going to understand until you're two thirds of the way through the movie. And then it gets fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, the only non-spoiler yeah. you can say is somebody in a mask is atta- going after some of them. And then things start happening and she's having a lot of deja vu. That's a, I, It gets really weird. My, it gets really weird. My right is uh, Memento Time Crimes on Ghost Ship. <laughs> so Memento and, and Time Crimes on a Ghost Ship. There, That will give you some clue anyway. But how kind of smart it goes. And some of the scenes are legit chilling. I remember seeing this, like Fangoria did a small screening of it in New York City at the Two Boots Theater. I remember. Um, and yeah, we we used to host these like tiny little um, screenings of like 150 people that we would do for kind of smaller films. And I remember seeing this there and it was just, there were moments that were like gasps um, from the audience. So there's, there's so many levels happening here that, you know, kind of once you see all the connective tissue, it's amazing. So yeah, triangle definitely did not get enough love. And, and again, if you it's have not see it, it. It's great. It kind of connects to, you know, uh, splinter and the ruins, like the ones you're picking because they are of that period where they are different than the franchises that were being made mm-hmm. around them. They are not the, I know what you did or the saws. These, these were all something a little different. And I appreciated that this one also stars. Um, and I really like her as a lead. Melissa George, she, I grew up with her. She was on the uh, Home and Away, uh, a very big soap kind of uh, show in Australia. But she was in uh, Mulholland Drive as the girl that they want her to, him to cast. Like, mm-hmm. this is the girl. And she's in Dark City, which I love Dark City. Uh, so, you know, you'll recognize her. You might not be able to exactly place her. But in this, she really is. A, I thought she does a great job in this one. Um, but yeah, that's our deep cut triangle. I think you will have a little bit of fun, pandemic fun on this one. Oh. So wait, before we go, what was your worst vacation ever? Oh, man. My worst vacation. Well, you start with yours. I'll have to, I, you know, I can't just bring it. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Like, I can remember mine immediately because it was in college. Yeah. A group of us drove from Virginia down to Florida to Orlando. And it was spring break. And we were going to go to, like, um, all of the different Disney resorts, Universal, all this stuff. And we were in college. So, of course, it was, like, you know, staying drunk for a week and then going to Disney. And then, oh, that's you right. know, I've heard this. That's right. so <laughs> much drinking. And I got there. And I had some type, like the very first day we arrived, I came down with some type of flu and it was awful. And I mean, it wasn't like a cold, like this was, it's honestly still, I think the sickest I have ever been in my life. Like I probably should have gone to a hospital. Um, And I was cracked a fever of like 102. I was throwing 
up. Um, there was one point where I remember waking up in the middle of the night and consciously remember realizing I was hallucinating and I wasn't like seeing things. It wasn't like I'm seeing like people walk across or anything like that, but I was seeing colors mm. and just movement. Mm. Like it was very much like being on shrooms and I was just sick. And, um, and I was still trying to muster my way through the week. So I remember going to Universal Studios in Florida, which now I look back and I'm like, oh God, I infected like all of Universal Studios Florida with whatever fucking awful flu I had at the time period, but I was 20 and stupid. And, um, I remember going and just being so miserable and going on, uh, like it reached a fever pitch. We were all went on this ride that they had there, which was like voyage into your body. It was supposed to be like, you know, boy, like shrink down. You're in this capsule and it's moving you around and you're like watching a giant screen of like, you're moving with blood cells and platelets. And I remember being on that ride and literally questioning if I was about to die. Mm. Um, Because I was like, I, I just like, it was jostling me in such a way. And, but I somehow made it through the week And I didn't drink because I knew then I would just be toast, but I made it through the week going to every single one of these theme parks while so sick. And then I Ironmanned it back to Virginia because everybody else was going to stay this extra night in a hotel somewhere in South Carolina along the way. And I was like, I was still so sick after five days. I was like, I just want to go straight home. So I drove by myself 12 hours straight back to Virginia. Um, taking and I definitely stopped and like got a lot of um, energy pills along the way, caffeine pills, just so I could do that drive. I got back the next day. I was doing my laundry in the laundry room of my apartment building and I collapsed and they had to call the oh, ambulance wow. and I had double pneumonia and was ended double. up in the hospital. I love that it's double. <laughs> it, was, it was, I ended up in the hospital for two days before they let me go. And it was just like, that is what happens when you don't actually like stop to be sick. Like I'm sure had I just like actually rested through it, um, you know, I probably would have been over the flu in like 48 hours, but because I was like fucking you know, I'm still going to do this. I'm going to Fantasy Island so that I can, or Pleasure Island, so I can party all night as sick as I was. Um, I ended up in the hospital. And so that whole vacation is just shit. Worst beach uh, spring break ever. I cannot so. compete with that story. <laughs> oh, uh, what do you have I, though? No, I, I actually have had, luckily I had a lot of travel and, and, and I, I love travel. I think it's my natural state for me just like, cause I did so much of it young. So I actually have had mostly good luck. I did get sick, pretty badly sick in Italy once. I can't remember what it was from, but I just remember like being kind of out of it. But the only, this will be the shortest story ever, but I do remember the worst idea ever. And maybe young people can also learn from this is uh, my high school girlfriend who I, we should have broken up with when we ended high school. That was always the plan. We discussed it. I'm going to college. Let's break up. Of course, we didn't. And then she started studying the same things I studied at the same university, even though she was meant to go to this other university. Uh, so it was super awkward, right? We decide, we, we basically- <laughs> Oh, is that super awkward? She followed you to school and you're and like, t- you promised we would and break took up. the same topics, which was super weird. Uh, <laughs> if she's a listener, which I know she's not. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, she, but I remember this very well, this moment. Uh, we base it was basically we had uh, when things were going a little better. Uh, we had booked a trip to go to Australia for a couple weeks, and I will never forget it. We get to the airport, and we both we had this big fight, and we go, "Oh yeah, we should break up. This is it. Let's break up." And then I was like, "But we might as well go on the trip, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and we did. And guess what, kids? Don't fucking do that. 
Okay? <laughs> Don't go on the trip if you have come to some sort of decision to probably break up first and then be stuck together for the next two weeks. Because it wasn't good. And I think we even maybe got back together for another couple of miserable months. So don't do that. Uh, I'm glad we could have this little this little advice to give people at the end. I feel like that is an amazing movie. It, it probably like, is. Like it's a good, we're breaking up, but we already we already got the tickets and everything that goes on. And then, then it's just all like slow. Yeah, that's a good. That is our horror film. Maybe we're coming up with the start of our our trap vacation horror film. We're going to write. Um, so, oh my so God. if you're listening, you're not allowed it. Don't do it. And we're going to write it. That's a wonderful setup yes. right there. Okay, we're going to do it. Um, and just in closing, uh, just reminding people, if you're looking for a little more and you want a little bit more, uh, we do have a, a Patreon uh, side share that we do every second week called Deep Cuts, and we drop the weird stuff there. And the reason I had to give it a plug is because because it didn't make it on the show. I saw this thing called Night of the Demon, you know, that a lot of people might know about a giant Bigfoot, and he does uh, sever... Uh, the penis of a biker, and if for no other reason, I think you should go go listen to that episode. It is an incredible moment in cinema. That's what you're luring people. To that is how I'm doing it. With. That is what you need to be there for. Well, I will also say we're about to um, probably tomorrow morning drop twenty deep cut road trip horrors, yes. and uh, yeah, there's there. We've also got our our new episode for that coming up next week as well. Yes, which I have no idea. What and we're doing, and Mal Pertis made. Oh yeah, yeah. That. No. So anyway, we do, we do some weird stuff. We like to mix it up. We we keep some weird here, but we like to go the real off 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 the cuff over there. So anyway, uh, it's good to be. And back. I will also plug really quick. I did have a book come out while we were yes. on break. Um, Creepy bitches came out from Bear Manor Media, which I co-edited um, and wrote with the amazing Elise Wax. And um, it is a collection of essays from women who work in horror, women who are just huge fans, um, journalists, uh, academics, filmmakers, and again, just people who are just big fans of the genre. Um, All females talking about, you know, kind of why horror, their reflections on horror, how they view their lives through horror. And um, yeah, so that is available now from Bear Manor Media. You can pick it up on Amazon. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, that's the difference wild... between us. While you were writing a book, I read one book. You wrote an entire book, and I read one book. I didn't write the entire I thing. Know, I collected I, it. That's okay. We'll just say. I mean, um, Don't yeah. underplay it. It's <laughs> I did. I do have a chapter in it comparing um, that, which is uh, my entire experience with childbirth uh, viewed through the lens of David Cronenberg. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And how I, I kind of went into it expecting this incredibly Cronenbergian. Um, uh, experience and was not disappointed. Oh yeah, no, I remember seeing that black, not yours, but I remember seeing a giant black sack that I still to this moment will never understand exactly how that was all inside. So yes, there's a lot. There's a lot. Anyway. Um, but um, yeah, so I have that chapter, but there's some absolutely amazing stuff um, from just fantastic people um meredith borders bj colangelo um just uh, uh, just an amazing groups chelsea stardust just yeah amazing female people and you will want to read their work way cool thank you the listeners for listening and welcome us back and giving us some time off thank you ernie our sound mixer and thank you to fangoria for all their continued support The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 